0: Hello everyone, it's Steven. I'm sorry I couldn't make it this week to Kaiju Weekly. Had a bit of a, you know, wedding anniversary. I kind of had to celebrate this weekend, so you might understand why I wasn't uh, present for this. But I was really looking forward to talking about Tremors. Uh, Tremors is one of those movies that I remember seeing when it came out. uh, Way, way back when I got a lot of fond memories. An old friend of mine and I watched it together. It was it was a lot of fun for us, and I really hope that the discussion that had been has been had on the show today has been nothing but positive and love for this movie because it's it's one of my absolute favorites. I never understood why Kevin Bacon found it to be such a uh, blight on his career. I know he's kind of turned around since then, but uh, it's it's always been a joy for me, and the series as a whole has been something that I have enjoyed immensely over time every time a new one came out uh it's just it's something I was always drawn to for whatever reason so I personally love this uh I'm gonna go ahead and give it my Godzuki score of five I'm giving it five godzukis why because it's just a hell of a lot of fun it's just a great fun B movie kaiju graboids it, i mean the work it's it's all there i mean i can't i can't stress that enough but uh, I, I really wish i could have had uh, a greater discussion with it but i did want to chime in with my two cents and my godzuki score so there you have it and uh, hopefully i'll see you next week
1: Hello, everyone, and welcome back to another episode of Kaiju Weekly, the weekly podcast that introduces you to the wide world of giant monster movies. I am your host, Travis, and with me is a special guest. We've got ecologist and podcast host, Sam, the host of the... Now, I always I always feel like I mispronounce <laughs> it. Cinematica Animalia. Cinematica podcast. Animalia,
2: that's correct, yes. Thank you for okay. having Okay.
1: yeah thank you for joining me this week uh we are going to have a fun episode today
2: yes i love this Uh, film well one of them
1: one of them (laughs) so before we get into it do you want to do a quick breakdown for people who have not checked out your podcast what your podcast is all about
2: yeah, absolutely. So, uh, I'm, uh, I'm an ecologist. I work at the, uh, Natural History Museum in, uh, Trondheim, uh, the, sorry, the university's, uh, Natural History Department at the, the local museum in Trondheim in Norway. I'm obviously not from Norway. I'm from Australia originally. <laughs> uh, but I study, uh, ecology, which is kind of like, um, the interactions between different species and humans, plants, animals, all that thing, kind of a bit like biology. And, uh, one of my best friends is also, uh, also an ecologist and uh, and we love movies and we also have a uh another uh, really close mate who loves movies as well and is a veterinarian uh, and is more of a physiologist uh, and so we got together uh not like kind of uh, separately in about mid 2018 and we thought you know what we all really like movies and whenever we were watching a monster movie we'd always be like you know making uh, making comments on the, the nature of, uh, the, the animals, whether it worked, whether it didn't, like maybe where they come, came from. And so we put this idea for a podcast together to just kind of go through the, uh, the biology. So like the, the physiology of these movie monsters. And we've done everything at this point from, uh, the monsters from a quiet place, uh, which is one of my favorites. Oh, nice. Uh, to Pikachu. Uh, oh, wow. Yeah, that that was actually a lot of fun. Uh, have, having a lightning bolt shaped tail is not uh, not an advantage, uh, by the way. It doesn't right. doesn't really carry any advantage whatsoever in the wild. Uh, all the way up to yeah, the the kaiju's like uh, you know Godzilla. Uh, we've done King Kong. Mm-hmm. We had a bit of a look at uh, some of the animals of Star Wars as well. Uh, but Dave just took mm-hmm. one look at that big kind of space worm that you see in uh, in the Empire Strikes Back, <laughs> and it was just like not nah, not having it, not doing that at all. <laughs> so yeah, uh, the the whole the whole kind of idea of it is not to not to pick holes in movies. We're not that pedantic. It's more to kind of get people interested in scientific kind of concepts through uh, through these really fun
1: movies. Right. Yeah. And for listeners who have not listened to uh, your podcast, it is a really fun podcast. It's really. Interesting and informative podcast. I enjoyed I haven't listened to every single episode. I'm still working my way through. Yeah, There's yeah, yeah. so much content out there. <laughs> yeah, and it's um, uh, if if you want a starting
2: I, point, I'd maybe say uh-huh. this season. Because <laughs> oh, okay, <laughs> I, I'm sure you you guys may have had this uh, right back at the start, but like when you're trying to figure out um recording quality and all that sort of stuff.
1: Yeah, Ooh, yeah, I, yeah, I'm. I'm still trying to figure all that out. Yeah. <laughs> We're still in the early phases. We're on episode what is it, sixteen now, and I'm still figuring everything out. <laughs> yeah, yeah. But yeah, I, I really like. uh I think it wasn't that long ago that you went through the Starship Troopers, uh bugs and aliens, and I, I really like that one because those are really interesting to me.
2: Yeah. yeah, yeah, they're fascinating. And my god, that movie is just. I, I... Yeah the the <laughs> army tactics of everybody just kind of run standing <laughs> at it like it right. just vacant spaces I mean I'm not right. an army tactician but that, that's got to be a faux pas <laughs> it's
1: something else that is a crazy movie all right well I am so glad to have you on this podcast and there is a reason why I wanted you to be on here for this uh, specific topic that we have this week. But before we get into that, Mm -hmm. uh, we have a few news items I want to cover uh, in the world of giant monster movies. So we usually do a little news segment just to kind of, I mean, we're not a news source by any means, but there's so few places to go to find kaiju news that i like to share it because uh you know in case there is somebody out there who doesn't know where to go to find their kaiju news um so uh we have been on the podcast there have been rumors and we've been talking about and then it was officially announced about this gamera 12 film collection from arrow Which is a UK based uh company, and they officially announced it. It is uh available for uh pre purchase, what do you call that? Pre-order. (laughs) Pre-order, yeah. (laughs) I forgot the word for a second. Um it's available for pre-order on Amazon and it is a hundred and eighty US dollars. Um, But if you order directly from Arrow, the early bird pricing is 120 U.S. dollars. And you can also get price match with Amazon uh, in case the prices drop, uh, similar to what happened to the Godzilla collection, the Criterion collection that came out earlier in the year.
2: So. So this is all 12 Gamera films? this is all 12 of them from so they do them from like cuz uh gamma split up into the same kind of periods as Godzilla right they have the the Heisei and then the is it Showa beforehand yes.
1: yeah the Showa um they don't have anything past the Heisei era because they haven't made a new Gamma film since the was it late 90s i think was okay. one the last one um so they haven't gotten into the millennium era but yeah they are split up like that too so you have i think it's eight uh yeah eight showa movies and then four uh heisei movies and is that first what heisei is one
2: is that one that you guys covered uh a couple of um a couple of weeks back right the gamma versus
1: yes BIOS? okay yeah, uh the the first Heisei one was uh Gamera Guardian of the Universe. But yeah, it had uh, it had Gaius in it. Okay. Uh and then Gamera versus Gaius is actually a Showa film. It's it's kind of confusing there. <laughs> yeah. Has the West
2: like uh sorry, I
1: shouldn't say West. Has the, like the global north of like Americans ever
2: shown any interest in doing a an American remake of Gamera, or is it just like now nah, we're we're going to do Godzilla have on that? I never
1: yet. Yeah, I've never heard of anyone showing any kind of interest in Gamera. Gamera is one of those weird ones because if you're in the world of giant monster movies and kaiju fans, they love Gamera. Yeah. I mean, Gamera is one of the most popular kaiju's out there. But outside of that, he hasn't really gotten the mainstream like service that that Godzilla has. Like Godzilla does have some mainstream appeal and also some recognition like people just recognize godzilla gamera just not really like yeah. I, I think the most americans and probably uk uh viewers have seen is probably from mystery science theater 3000 yeah um you know, and that and, and in there they're making fun of how silly Gamera is, so there's kind of this like stigma with Gamera of being just kind of cheesy and silly, and so I've never heard of anybody wanting to do like a Hollywood remake of Gamera.
2: Yeah. I guess a big like uh, a giant kind of T Rex sort of thing like Godzilla is a very different cell from a walking turtle.
1: Right. Yeah, yeah exactly. There there is something inherently silly about Gamera and I think that turns a lot of people off to him, which, which is sad because he is a fun character and his movies are, especially the later movies are really, really high quality. In fact, I think even in the episode that we recorded, we said better than some of the Godzilla movies out there. So, yeah, but this, uh, this is the first time in a long time that all 12 movies have been released together like this. And, they're in such a good quality. I can't imagine that you'll find a better option for that. Especially, I think we've mentioned in previous episodes, too, for listeners who have been keeping up with this news, in the UK, they are notorious for not getting Gamera movies or giant monster movies in general. But a lot of these movies have never been released in the UK at all. So this is the first time they're getting a lot of these movies so it's really exciting um some of the uh special features that are coming with this um of course you've got the box art which is done by matt frank who is a very popular kaiju artist he does a lot of the godzilla comic books and other things like that he's and he is a huge gamera fan so it made sense to have him on here uh, these are going to have 4K restorations of the uh, Heisei trilogy, plus the fourth one in the uh, Gamera of the Invincible, I think was the fourth one. And then uh, we also are getting a hardback 120 page comic book, including, uh, let me see including a full-color reprint of the four-issue Gamera comic series originally released by Dark Horse Comics in 1996, and the first-ever English-language printing of the prequel comic, The Last Hope by Matt Frank. So this is going to be a fantastic... uh, If you are a Gamera fan or a Kaiju fan or a comic book fan, this is going to be an excellent collector's item.
2: Do they make their money back when they uh, when they do re-releases like this? Is it to kind of stimulate new interest in the franchise, or do they get most of their money back from uh, from the hardcore support
1: base? I can't really, I can't really tell you. Um, I'm I'm guessing they make their money back because yeah, otherwise, yeah, you know, do it. It. <laughs> it doesn't make sense, right? Exactly, it's a business, you know. But um, I I can imagine that. It, it is a biz from a business standpoint, it makes sense that you release it. Like I said, with certain regions, they've never actually even had Gamera movies before released fully. So having this release, it's not just a huge collector's item that fans are going to uh, be grappling for, but you're also releasing to an audience that's n- never really had yeah. all 12 Gamera films before. Cool. So, that- yeah, it's a lot of fun. And, uh, one last little thing from this, uh, is this is from an interview with Sci-Fi Japan, uh, James Flower, who's the project manager on that collection. He explained to Sci-Fi Japan, we're doing all we can to make this the definitive and most comprehensive release of these films and this announcement is just the tip of the iceberg look out for a proper announcement with full specs and a more detailed look at matt's incredible new art in the not too distant future and we've got more tokusatsu releases lined up for later in the year too so they've got more kaiju related things coming down the pipelines and that's exciting I don't know. I know I want to get this. Uh, I mean, I I need to I need to go ahead and pre-order it. But I know you're not the a huge kaiju fan i don't know if that's the i, I don't want to yeah be i'm not i'm not a super like,
2: fan i uh i really i went through a period in my early 20s where i'd uh, just uh watch like old uh 70s and 80s godzilla movies hungover on a sunday okay so that's that's about oh, my okay. uh my extent of uh, experience with the old uh with the old japanese ones i do still really enjoy uh the one they brought out uh, i think it was in the mid 2000s where
1: uh,
2: okay og godzilla kind of um Takes out uh, the oh, Roland yeah. Roland Emmerich Godzilla on the Sydney Opera House.
0: Uh-huh.
2: That was oh, one of my yeah, faves, yeah. yeah,
1: that is an excellent one. Of course, anytime the Sydney Opera House is in a uh, movie, it's <laughs> going to get destroyed. <laughs> yes, yeah, they don't seem to enjoy. They don't seem to like
2: it very much, which I'm fine with because I'm from kind of uh, Sydney's rival city, Melbourne, down further south. So. Oh, you're from me. Melbourne. Yeah.
1: Okay. <laughs> I have a lot of friends in Melbourne, so I know, I know a lot about Melbourne, yeah. even though I've never been there.
2: <laughs> oh, yeah. And, <laughs> and I, but I do like the, uh, the kind of modern giant monster movies. I, I really, I've enjoyed, uh, all three of them so far and the, the kind of new legendary monster verse. Uh, the possible oh, okay. exception just being the most recent one because, man, they try so hard to put some science into it. And my <laughs> God, like, it's it annoys yeah. me that like the Roland Emmerich, you know, it's just a mutated iguana thing sits better with me than right. the, than the new one when they're actually trying to give scientific explanations to these enormous uh these enormous kaiju. Right. But...
1: Yeah. Yeah. It's like yeah, they're just giant monsters. Just move on. Yeah, they exactly. To to we try to explain it. We don't
2: need a we don't need a backstory. It's
1: fine. Right. So is this, um, Gamera, we don't have a whole lot of news outside of this big, this is the big news for the week, so, um, but this Gamera collection, is this something that would appeal to you as someone who's not deep into the kaiju, uh, like, movies and stuff? I was
2: never big on re-releases, uh, and also, like, uh, DVD box sets these days, I mean, uh, we've got, like, three streaming services here already, plus the, kind of, the local, um uh tv boxes which gives you like overseas channels and that sort of stuff so we pretty much
1: stream everything right. i don't think we even have the dvd player actually oh yeah. wow so th- yeah that's that's kind of where i'm at too i'm kind of moving towards digital because i'm so limited on space yeah that i'm kind of moving towards digital um media but i i with this being such a very special thing and with having so many special features i know it appeals to me as a fan yep. of these things but i was just curious about someone from the outside looking in how this would appeal oh yeah and to that's them.
2: certainly definitely me looking out uh, looking uh, in from the outside in terms of camera uh if it yeah. popped up on netflix i would i would definitely give it a watch <laughs> or <laughs> oh,
1: amazon yeah, Prime well, seems hey. to
2: be the uh, the number one candidate for that actually they've got some really weird like uh old kind of
1: uh yes they
2: do. 70s 80s foreign stuff on there yeah.
1: Yes, they do. They have they have a lot of really interesting stuff <laughs> on there. Um, I don't know if it's available where you're at because I'm not sure about regions and what's available. But um, there's an app called Tubi, okay. T U B I, and it has all of the Showa era camera films. So if you're ever interested in checking out Gamera and you want to watch them digitally instead of purchasing them, mm-hmm. uh Tubi is a free service if it's available where you're at. And they have ads that they include in things, but it's like one ad every so often. And uh they have all of the show uh So if you're ever interested in checking some of those older gamma films out, look into that. Yeah, we'll do. <laughs> yeah. Um, as far as other news, we have, uh, a new image that came out from Godzilla, uh, Godzilla versus Kong. It was promotional image that was included in the toy fair, I think. And so it's, it was kind of leaked out. It wasn't officially released, but we do get a good look at what is possibly the new design for Godzilla in the upcoming movie godzilla versus kong so did you get a chance to look at this image and see
2: i think i i think i know which one you're talking about so i looked around i found a very blurry kind of blue and yellow uh thing where kong's kind of leaping towards him loading up a punch and godzilla's got a tinier head than i've ever seen him have before and just a (laughs) massive chonky body is that is that the one?
1: Yeah. Yeah. Uh, let me see, let me pull it up and see, make sure I get, see if you get the one that I sent you through messenger.
2: Ah, no, that's, uh, that's very different. Okay, right. No, no, so I'll, the, the one I'm, the one I was looking at is just like a really kind of blurry, uh, it looks like, kind of looks like somebody's, uh, been in the background while they were showing some test footage and taking a shot.
1: Oh okay yeah. yeah that's probably from the leaked um footage that came out from the uh um Brazil expo that they had yeah they they had uh, it, there was a scene it was just like a 3 second scene of Godzilla and Kong facing off on a uh big battleship and Kong was rearing up with yes. his, you know coming in for a punch yeah. so that's probably what that is Yeah yeah Now this this is a promotional uh came along with a toy fair um and
2: yeah those spikes seem to have gotten even bigger
1: yeah and they look they look definitely different yeah like before they they looked more biological these look almost like crystal like to me
2: isn't there like a space godzilla who has these like crystals sticking at the Mm -hmm. back is that kind of maybe a shout out to that
1: Maybe it it might be because it it does look very crystal like. Yeah. So it does kind of have a space Godzilla feel. If you look like if you look um, closely
2: at it, it almost looks like they've grown on top of like the spikes that are below it.
1: Oh yeah, yeah, it sure does. Now I'm curious if this is even Godzilla, or if this is going to be oh. some other Godzilla imitator <laughs> in this film. Okay. Um, and that might be a hint to it. The fact that they the spikes are, are different. Um, yeah, that's just, that's, that's tinfoil hat conspiracy <laughs> yeah. theory. <laughs> yeah. I don't
0: know. It
2: looks, uh, I mean, look, it's kind of blurry and it is uh, concept art, so it'll obviously look very different, but I, I don't know. It, um, it might even just be like a further evolution. Like, you know how they did the, right. the fire Godzilla or whatever it was, the the super radioactive mm-hmm. one in the last film? Right. I don't know. Maybe this is Ice Godzilla instead. It's, yeah.
1: Yeah, maybe. Because, maybe. I don't know. Yeah.
2: I don't think he'd need any special kind of, you know, power-ups to take on Kong unless they're doing the whole, uh, well, I was going to say, unless they're doing the whole kind of Batman versus Superman thing where they have to face off against a bigger threat at the end but uh, I think right. they've come out and said that there's going to be a definitive winner of Godzilla and Kong in this film, right?
1: Yeah, they have said that. Now, whether they live up to it, I'm still kind of a wait and see, um, mm. but they have said there is definitely going to be a definitive winner in this uh in this face off. Yeah.
2: Yeah, I think this will just so. be kind of some further evolution of Godzilla. Like, I don't know, maybe Kong takes him down in the first fight and then Godzilla comes back powered up. Although I guess that's just kind of copying what they did in the, uh,
1: the, the last yeah. one. Yeah. Yeah. I mean giant monster movies are not known for being very creative in their story so it wouldn't surprise me if they just kind of rehash a lot of what they already did yeah. but uh
2: and if the last one I'm taught us anything, not. in my opinion it was to ease up on the creativity and just give us two monsters fighting
1: so right yeah. exactly yeah yeah because i mean that's the best part of it all is just the two monsters fighting i mean i i, I like the human and dynamic too but give me monster fights. Yes. yeah definitely <laughs> So, yeah. So it, it is interesting. It's interesting and like you said it is concept art, so the final design could be completely different. Yeah. Um but the fact that they're using that in their promotional stuff uh really kind of tells me that this might actually be a real thing from, you know, that's going to feature in the movie. Yeah. So, it's interesting. I'm excited. Yeah, he's shooting he cannot- up too.
2: Like, is he aiming at something that's coming down from the sky, or because I mean, Kong's not going to be you know jumping from building to building if he's the- if he's the size uh, of Godzilla,
1: right? Yeah, that's that's a good question because he is kind of aiming upwards. So maybe there, like you said, with the uh, with the Batman versus Superman bigger threat coming in, there might be something that's bigger and. Taller than Godzilla that he's firing at. If
2: there was a bigger threat in this movie at the end, what would you want it to be?
1: Um, personally, I mean, if if we're going with the bigger threat, I would say Mecha Godzilla. Um, okay. there's already been rumors of Mecha Godzilla, but created by aliens I, I, or
2: by humans.
1: I mean, personally, I would love it if they did
2: aliens. <laughs> Fall into that, yeah. The the sci-fi. Fall <laughs> into it
1: that's one of the things i loved about godzilla king of the monsters because like if you look at um gareth edwards godzilla from 2014 yeah. and how grounded in the real world it's supposed to be and then when you get to king of the monsters and it's just like oh there's this alien monster oh there's yo know, 16 other monsters out there oh there's underwater cities and oh it's like they're hollow earth yeah. it's like they just went bonkers with it so and yeah like you said they've I, introduced
2: the concept of an alien you know an alien kaiju now yeah. so why not bring an alien humanoid or just more aliens right
1: yeah. exactly exactly i mean i would love it i would love it now mainstream <laughs> yeah. audiences
2: it might be a hard I mean, sell yeah. Not, yeah
1: yeah yeah because like i will go and see it but my ticket alone is not enough to keep it from uh losing money yeah yeah, yeah. <laughs> Um, the next bit of news I have is we have a new, uh, strategy board game that is Godzilla themed. It's called Godzilla Tokyo Clash and it is from Funko. It is, if you're a board game player, uh, it looks really interesting. And it's supposed to come out in June. It says, Tokyo Clash storms with iconic monsters, Godzilla, King Ghidorah, Mothra, and Megalon in a timed strategy game. As each player has to defeat the other kaiju before the people of Tokyo can muster their defenses and destroy you. And it's for two to four players. So, are you into the kind of board game game?
2: Something. I wasn't until recently, uh, at which point one of my, uh, one of my friends basically figured that you can just put Marvel in front of something and I'm there. So he said, uh, right. oh, it was actually, <laughs> it was Adam from the podcast, actually. He sent me over, uh, Munchkin, the Marvel version.
1: Oh, okay. And I played that oh, once huh. and I was
2: fully immersed. So if, if there is, you know, a strategy game where you are a giant monster, uh, maybe, maybe I'll be in on it. Yeah.
1: Yeah. Uh, that's, that's how I am. It's like, Hey, you put Godzilla in front of something. I'm going to try yeah. it. Yeah. <laughs> So uh, the price point on this is $35 US and it's uh the duration for it. They say it takes about 45 minutes to play a complete game. But because you set up the cities and the buildings and everything yourself, it has a lot of replayability because it's going to be different each time you play like it. it. It's kind of like a, you know, your regular strategy board game. it's, it's, Different enough each time you play it that it you can play it over and over again and still enjoy yourself.
2: So you can set up a city to make it, hypothetically, more uh, resistant to certain types of kaiju. Or? Yeah, I
1: th- I think so. From the way it looks, you can set up your you can set up your city how you want. You can make it look more like a city that you, you live in or you want it to look like. You can uh, change things around. So it 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 looks fun. I'm not a big board game person but like like i said and like you were saying you put this stuff, uh, you put something that i love in front of a board game and i'm like yes i'm there yeah. <laughs> so i'm there for this from funko
2: funko are the guys um, who make the uh the, the toys with the box heads yeah yes yeah, okay. yeah
1: little pop figures <laughs> yep yep uh they do a, they do a lot more than that i mean that's what people think of but they do a lot more than just those the pop figures but that is the big the big collector seller, yeah. thing that they do um and then we also have, uh, right now in New York City, they are having Toy Fair, so there's a lot of toy announcements and collector's announcements um, coming out. I'm not big into that scene. One of my co-hosts, Michael, is more into that scene, so I might have him do a recap once Toy Fair is over, but it is happening, and we have had... Uh, as of today, an announcement of a new NECA, which is one of the toy manufacturers, um, two new NECA figures. One is Biollante, Godzilla vs. Biollante from 1989, and one is Godzilla Tokyo SOS, I think. Yeah, Godzilla uh, Tokyo SOS from 2002. Those are the two figures that have been announced that are going to be released soon. And if any listeners know anything about the NECA uh, figures, one of my favorite parts of them is the box art. Is always done as the posters from the movie. So the box art alone, to me, is makes these worth collecting because I, I really like the box art on a lot of them, and especially for Biolante. That's one of my favorite Godzilla posters of all time.
2: Biolante is the the disgusting, like garbage squid, right?
1: no it's the um plant it's the oh, big flower yes. yeah it's a it's a starts off with a flower and then it gets an alligator head Little shop
2: of <laughs> type thing. yeah
1: yes exactly yes. exactly yeah it's um it's interesting because it used to be one of my favorite godzilla movies and it's still up there but it's it, it, it i've watched it recently and it doesn't hold up as well as I remembered it being it's um (laughs) but i still love the poster the king
2: kong uh the king kong island like uh, i went back and read the comics for that they have all these weird kind of like plant animal hybrids Mm -hmm. so you know they've kind of set the stage for something like this happening but uh yeah again if we're were talking things that might be a little bit of a stretch too far beforehand uh, yeah right
1: (laughs) well you know i think I mean, a Biollante-style plant monster might be less of a stretch than... Aliens.
2: Full-on aliens, yes, yeah. <laughs>
1: so, I don't know. Hey, if they brought Biollante into it, I would be happy. I'm sure a lot of people would be happy. Biollante is a very beloved kaiju. Cool. So, that would be good. But yeah, so I just wanted to let listeners know that Toy Fair is going on. It is happening And we will do a rundown of all of the news and releases once Michael gets back on the podcast and he can do it. Because he's more into the collector side of things and I am not. (laughs) Uh, Let's see. Uh, We also had an announcement that Ultraman Galaxy, the official North American website, has been uh, set up. I'm, I'm... is it already up and going I think it's up and going yeah they've already launched it but it's the basically it's the website where you can go to get news on new releases anything Ultraman related for the North American market because we haven't really had a site to get Ultraman information uh, that was official so they announced that and so I just wanted to put that out there that is Ultramangalaxy.com yeah. Is what that one is. When
2: I, uh, when I read this and when I was listening to your podcasts uh, before, I was always thinking, like, you know, how how can they have this many you know, questions on... Uh, how can I have a quiz just on Ultraman, uh, Kaiju, and that sort of oh, stuff? Oh, yeah. And then I was just looking <laughs> earlier today at, like, the amount of TV shows and movies Oh has yeah. been on Ultraman. My God, like...
1: Yep, yeah, it is... It's something about Japanese television that they their series will go and just go and go and go. And so you have shows like, I, I, you know, I don't know if you were a fan of Power Rangers. Um, yeah, I, I think Power Rangers made it to Australia kind of later than it did in America. Yeah. So, Back then, so we I mean, always yeah, got
2: everything of, like two, three years late.
1: <laughs> right, yeah. yeah. But um, Power Rangers was originally based on a Japanese show called Super Sentai. And that show has been going since the early '70s and is still going. Like it is, you know, it's just continuous. And Ultraman's kind of the same way. Ultraman started in 1966 and has just been going. Yeah, and is still going. Like they they have a new series coming out. I think later on this year or next year. It's the 2020 2021 season. So. Yeah, it's, it's just something about these Japanese shows. They will just continue them on and yeah. on and on. So, yeah, there is a lot of history in Ultraman. Yeah,
2: I mean, if the audience is there, then they're going to keep making them. So, yeah.
1: Yeah, yeah. And the thing is, Ultraman, and I think I've mentioned it before on the podcast, Ultraman in Japan yeah. is actually more popular than Godzilla. Really? Okay. Like Like, Godzilla is hugely popular yeah. in Japan. But Ultraman actually surpasses him okay. in popularity. Um, it's just one of those things. I mean, I, I think the only thing I could, could could compare it to for Western audiences is kind of how Doctor Who is to the UK. Okay. Like, like it's just so ingrained in their culture that you just cannot escape it. Okay, yeah. Um, and that's how Ultraman is now. Ultraman has not made it big outside of japan too much uh you know a few of the series made it to america but now is when they're actually getting a lot of the series and bringing them over to the west and and for english speaking audiences so for me i always was aware of ultraman but i never watched ultraman until i started doing this podcast
2: if you had to put like uh say 100 bucks on when there will be a western adaptation of ultraman what would you what would you say
1: oh man sooner rather than later oh yeah sooner rather than later because i mean because they're really pushing for the western market uh for Ultraman, because, like, they have a Marvel comic book that was announced. Uh, Marvel is teaming up with Ultraman, the company that owns Ultraman, and they're doing a comic book, and they're doing a new Japanese movie uh, coming out next year, yeah. and there's the Netflix adaptation of the... An- there's an anime version of Ultraman that's on Netflix. Okay. So it's like they're really pushing... the Ultraman a lot more than they used to. So I would, I would say sooner rather than later. Okay.
2: They'll wait to see how like the reception to the next Netflix shows are and then, uh, then look at big budget sort of stuff.
1: Yeah. Yeah. I I think the, the Japanese uh, Ultraman movie that's coming out next year, Shen Ultraman is what it's called. And I think that one is going to, if it if it does well outside of japan mm-hmm. if it if you you they see that there's an audience outside of japan i think you know studios are going to look at it and be like maybe we should look into some yeah. of this stuff what
2: does shin represent because you had shin Godzilla as well back in 2015 yeah like is that supposed yeah, to shin, a rebirth or
1: something it, yeah shin i think uh, can mean multiple things but i think it ultimately means rebirth or renew okay um, so it's kind of like this a, a re-envisioning or reinventing of the the property so like shin godzilla had no ties to any other previous godzilla movies it was completely original and new uh and this shin ultraman is going to be the same way it's going to have no ties to any of the series or anything it's completely reinventing it and re-establishing okay. it
2: who would yeah, you want so. as the voice of ultraman because he doesn't show his face,
1: right? Uh, well, in Ultraman, uh, there's a there's always a human or human-looking side. He like has a he has he's like a superhero. Yep. He has a dual identity, okay. so he always has that human kind of um that side of him, and then he turns into Ultraman. So the regular like Ultraman, he has a. I mean, that's his. I bumped my microphone. <laughs> um that's his face. Yeah, okay. The silver thing that you see, that is his face. It looks like a helmet, but that is his <laughs> face. Okay, yeah, and originally his mouth was supposed to move, but they could never get the motors to work in <laughs> the mask, and so they just kind of like X'd it, said, nope, nope, we'll just have him just not move his mouth yeah. at all. Um But yeah, so I, I don't know if they did a Hollywood remake of Ultraman I'm not sure who I'd want to play Ultraman. I mean, I know I would prefer someone unknown yeah. because I would like to not be distracted by the star power of whoever they get. But at the same time, if they're doing Hollywood remake of this movie or of this you know, franchise, they're going to want to put a name yeah. in the movie. Because so... you
2: can't sell it on the, the name Ultraman alone.
1: Yeah. right exactly not not to Western audiences, you're not gonna no. get just on name alone, um, but me personally i would I would prefer an unknown to play ultraman okay. um, but yeah, that's it for the news segment, so we can dive into the main topic for this yes. week now you. Yeah, and it's going to be a fun one. (laughs) Um, So I usually ask a trivia question at the end of each episode to hint to the next episode. So last week I asked the question, what giant worm movie is celebrating its 30th anniversary this year? And I had a bunch of answers come in. And I'm going to read out some of those and give some shout outs to the people who answered. Because I make this deal with listeners that, you can comment any answer you want; yeah. it doesn't have to be correct, and I will give you a shout I've, out. I've noticed <laughs> that in
2: particular with one of the uh, with one of the responses here.
1: Yes, yes, and he's the host of he's the co host on this yeah. show, so he knows, <laughs> and he still gave me out. So we'll get to that in just a minute. Well, well done, Michael. So, yeah. Yeah. <laughs> so, uh, Brandon Hurst uh, said tremors. Dylan Nolan said "Graboid," which was the actual name of the monsters in Tremors. Yeah. Matt Bell said "Tremors." Sean Parker said "Tremors." Milton Harvey said "Tremors." Jesse Wilson said the sandworms from Beetlejuice. Created by just a couple of years, yeah, yeah just a couple of years off, because uh, it would have celebrated Beetlejuice celebrated its 30th anniversary two years mm-hmm. ago. Yeah, so. Uh, E.T. Productions on Twitter said Tremors, and they are the host of the Kaiju Conversations podcast. Uh, we also have another giant monster podcast uh, called Monster Island Film Vault. Listeners, I don't talk about them enough because I, I have more interactions with ones like uh, Monsters vs. Men and the Kaiju Apostle, but Monster Island Film Vault is an excellent and fun giant monster podcast so please go check them out if you get a chance and they commented tremors uh brian stafford who is one of the patreon uh supporters of this podcast he said tremors one of the best movies ever and then certainly a, the a kite call but you know <laughs> uh... I'm, I'm leaning more towards an agreement with Brian. So one I of love the
2: these movies. I love the first one. It's fantastic. But one of the best movies ever. My God. Mm,
1: yeah. Okay. That is kind of a yeah. stretch. <laughs> <laughs> um, and then the Kaiju Apostle podcast, uh, sent over Twitter, uh, a gif of a weed eater. Okay. <laughs> so I'm guessing that's supposed to be a tremor. <laughs> like a, like an edge I have no idea trimmer. what a what
2: a weed eater is
1: um it's uh, oh yes sorry in australia the, we have, call them trimmers yeah you have a, yeah.
2: Yeah. Yeah. yeah yeah trimmers okay. yeah
1: that's what that's what i was thinking i was like they have another name for them yep. over there but yeah, yeah good, uh, good an pun. edge trimmer
2: <laughs> i apologize for taking so long to yeah. get it yep
1: <laughs> no that's good uh and then cultural differences yes. you know that's that's <laughs> and then the co-host of this podcast michael hamilton could not waste the opportunity to share i don't even know how many i haven't counted does uh, he hit double figures i think he does hit double figures four five six seven eight nine ten yes he did (laughs) so yes uh he said total regret a behind the scenes look at roland emmerich's godzilla Finding Nemo three, Hook, Line and Sinker. Well,
2: that is a that is a gritty sequel to a much beloved kids film. I would not take my son to see that. Right,
1: really. right, exactly. Honey, I drank too much tequila. The Michael Bay story. Uh, the unreleased nineteen eighty three Mexican kaiju film El Cuervo two, <laughs> Revenge of the nice. Worm. Yes. Can. <laughs> Kend- <laughs> that's, that's all right <laughs> that's a uh, pretty okay woman another tequila story where does the worm factor into that one uh tequila because um tequila you get from from mexico usually has a worm in
2: oh it. right of course yep
1: <laughs> yeah so <laughs> um <laughs> the parent trap five a mothra story Going with the Mothra Worms there. Yeah. Hedgers. That sounds like a porno to me.
2: Yeah.
1: <laughs> I'm going to leave it there. Uh, hemorrhoids 2, getting old sucks. <laughs> Was there a Hemorrhoids 1? Uh, that's, yeah. yeah. <laughs> and growing up Mothra. Yeah. <laughs> Excellent job, Michael. <laughs> Even when you're not on the podcast, yeah. you gotta muscle your way in somehow.
2: Now I remember <laughs> uh, the the Gamma episode where you asked um, what was the first uh, the first Kaiju to have a uh, female uh, portraying it, like in mm-hmm. the Yeah, you had tons of different answers. This like there's not too right. many giant worm movies, so is this the the right. week that the most people have got it right?
1: Um, I don't know if this is the most they've got <coughs> it right because I. Actually, yeah, it probably is. It probably is. Because yeah. um, they had a lot of people who answered correctly. And and sometimes I know people know the answer, but they'll still answer something else yeah. just for fun. So it's kind of hard to judge on what... Do you know the right answer, or are you just having fun with me? Yeah. <laughs> but it's all good. I give everybody a shout-out equally, yeah. no matter what. Because <laughs> what, other, what other big worm films
2: are there? I guess you've got... Uh, dune tremors yeah dune i really like the big worm things from uh the peter jackson king kong Uh,
1: oh yeah yeah there is a there is a like um indie kaiju film that's called mongolian death worm oh that i
2: that's appropriate yeah. yeah
1: So I do want to cover that one on the podcast at some point, because that one looks really interesting.
2: Yeah. And they were apparently like uh, some of the inspiration for the Graboids, right? The Mongolian Death Worm? Mm
1: Mm-hmm. Yep. Sure was. But yeah, our topic for this week is Tremors. Yes. Uh, Specifically, we are talking about the first and second movie, because there's now six of them. Six now. there's a seventh... Six of them. Oh, hang on.
2: Is the sixth one where they're in uh, Canada?
1: yes okay right yes gotcha. yeah. yeah yeah uh cold day in hell as the subtitle for that one yeah um yeah so and they have a seventh one that is being filmed right now uh they had an announcement about that on twitter so it's like they're still making these movies it is yeah. crazy i can't believe that like they
2: still make these direct-to-dvd but that uh the pilot didn't get picked up from a couple of years ago right
1: Right. Yeah. Yeah. No, it didn't. It, 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 and I think a big part of why that might not have been picked up was we, and, and we'll talk about it because one of my likes, uh, as far as when we shift from the first movie to the second movie is how they kind of abandon the horror aspect of it yeah. and just go straight to silly campiness. Yeah. And I think that that pilot tried to bring it back to the more horror side of things and people are just kind of like well we kind of moved on yes yeah. the series is not a horror series anymore yeah it's going um, so to take a lot
2: to make this scary again and they just kind of didn't
1: yeah. yeah yeah it's it's kind of it, it feels a lot like you get um the uh nightmare on elm street or the jason voorhees uh you know friday the 13th series where if they go on long enough they just start getting silly yeah, I mean, because there's you know they're not scary anymore cuz you know what the monster is yeah
2: and before like Wes Craven's new nightmare like Freddy Krueger was almost a stand up comic at that point like working right. on his type yeah. five with every uh with every victim that came along
1: <laughs> <laughs> right exactly <laughs> Exactly. Uh, I like that somebody—I uh, forget who it was that I was listening to—mentioned that at a certain point people start rooting more for the monster than for the, you know, victims. Yeah. You know, and it's kind of like that with those those movies. You know, at a certain point you're starting to root for Freddy Krueger because he's the most interesting character in any of the movies. Yeah. He's... <laughs> um, so I kind of feel the Tremors movies suffered kind of the same problem where they started losing that horror side and it just started getting campy and fun and they started focusing more on the comedy side of it instead of yeah. the horror side of it and that second film like yeah. there were
2: some really funny moments in that one
1: oh yeah definitely yeah. definitely so let me let me do a quick uh breakdown yeah. for the casting crew and the plot breakdown for these movies because I, I like to give credit to the people who were involved in the movies so um, For cast and crew you had Kevin Bacon and Fred Ward uh, and Michael Gross. Those are the three main uh, Memorable cast members from the first one then of course you had Fred Ward uh, Michael Gross Christopher Garton and Helen Shaver from the second one and the plot breakdown uh, and I'm just taking this from IMDb because Stephen, my co-host, usually does the plot breakdowns by winging it, yeah. and he's very fun and creative. I'm not as fun and creative as he is, so <laughs> I just read from IMDb. Uh So the first movie, natives of a small, isolated town defend themselves against strange underground creatures which are killing them one by one. Yeah. Very straightforward
2: and it's <laughs> very straightforward it's, it's good because it's kind of like got that there they're completely cut off from like the big cities it's just them against these monsters that are coming for them it's yeah
1: right exactly yeah uh and as far as tremors 2 the uh plot breakdown earl bassett now a washed up ex-celebrity is hired by a mexican oil company to eradicate a graboid epidemic that's killing more people each day however the humans aren't the only one with new with a new battle plan yeah. so we've kind of already gotten into it but your thoughts on these movies
2: so yeah I I love the first one like uh, when when we ahead. first started doing our cinematic Animalia uh, every couple of weeks I'd uh, I'd come home uh, to my partner and be like okay we have to sit down and watch this movie and sometimes it'd be mm-hmm. it'd be great because you know it'd be Lord of the Rings she loves Lord of the Rings but then I came home and I was like okay we have to watch tremors mm-hmm. And, uh, you know, we, we saw a trailer and we were both just like, well, this is going to be tough to sit through, but it wasn't, it was a lot of fun. (laughs) Like, uh, it's a little dated, but it's, it was, it was really, it was really enjoyable. Um, yeah, there was, there was a lot of fun stuff in there. There was actually a lot of fun science stuff in there as well. Uh, and I really liked all the characters like, um, uh, Kevin Bacon and, uh, Fred, uh, i've already forgot his name uh fred fred ward fred ward yep kevin bacon mm-hmm. and fred ward work really well together uh i think um is it finn finn carter the female from the first from the first movie uh yeah finn carter uh, uh, as ronda LeBeck. i think she's great as well uh-huh yeah uh <laughs> uh Bert gummer and heather gummer are just look oh yeah i come from a country where we're traditionally very anti-guns uh but i tell you what <laughs> watching that rec room scene <laughs> oh, made me want to go out and stock up you know uh it's fantastic right. yeah that's one of that's one of my favorite scenes from uh from that kind of era of cinema um
1: oh yeah definitely
2: <laughs> uh the wrong rec room is, it's just such a well-delivered line uh yeah <laughs> yeah there's just uh, there's a lot of stuff to like in in the first one um do you want to get your thoughts on the first one or should we go yeah the second um, one, yeah you...
1: well i i'm i'm right there with you with the first one all the characters are so memorable um and i think that's one of the things that uh really sells a good monster movie and a good horror movie especially is when you have the main characters all being memorable yeah. Uh, because I mean, even, even the, the storekeeper and the, you know, all of these characters, uh, minus the, the kid, (laughs) the the teenager, um.
2: (laughs) one of the most irritating kids, uh, I've ever seen in a film. Yeah. Like just that, that whiny little snot nose. Yeah. R- really just want... I- I've never wanted a character to die so much <laughs> in one of these films. Uh, and I've heard that he actually comes back in like Tremors 4 or 5 or something He comes back like like in 3. As, like an, as an adult?
1: Yeah, oh, he comes back like in 3. That was the...
2: Tell me he gets eaten then. No. <laughs> oh my Spoiler god.
1: Spoiler alert, he does not get eaten. But he does uh, get kind of a come uh Even though he doesn't get eaten, he does get a come up comeuppance. Um, which I think mm, was my okay. biggest problem with his character in the first one is he doesn't really get a comeuppance he doesn't really get yeah. a, like a, a lesson taught to him uh and no
2: and yeah that's kind of cl- these films are always kind of the the bully or the, the idiot gets you know gets taught a lesson and it just never happens
1: right exactly yeah so that's one of the downsides to that one uh yeah i really enjoy it. i think the the characters work well together uh there is humor in the first one even though it is styled yeah. more as a horror film there's a lot of great humor there and the special effects in that first one are so simple like uh, the, yeah. uh, the worms, once the Graboids actually show up, they are very elaborate. But yeah. until you get those full size puppets and the special effects that way, the the other effects that they do, it's just real simple. It's just little spurts of, you know, from the ground and you know things falling over it, But it's so
0: effective.
1: It's, yeah. it's used so effectively. It's a lot like uh, it reminds me a lot of Jaws where you don't see the shark. As much as you might think, you know, in your imagination, but they leave it up yeah. to your imagination to fill in when the shark is coming, when the, when it's getting close. And it's kind of like that with the Graboids. They leave a lot of, uh, um, they leave a lot of it up to the imagination. Like what, yeah. what's happening under the ground.
2: Yeah. And that reveal that, uh, that the, the kind of tentacles, uh, mm-hmm. the feeders that they sent out. ...is part of a larger creature. Right. Uh, we were talking about this on the podcast last week, things I wish I didn't already know going into a film. Mm-hmm. I think that reveal would have been really cool had I not known that that was already the case.
1: Yeah. Yeah, and and it's so interesting because the director, which I didn't even mention the director, I forget who directed it, but um, the director and the writer, we got? they...
2: Ron Underwood.
1: Ron Underwood, that's right. And then the writer... What's,
2: what else has he done?
1: Uh, he, didn't he do Mighty Joe Young? City Slickers. City Slickers. Yeah, he
2: did City Slickers, Mighty Joe Young, and then nothing, uh, no film since 2005, but he's done a bunch of, like, Fear the Walking Dead episodes and MacGyver and that yeah. Sort of stuff. So. Yeah, I
1: think he's a TV director mostly now. Yeah. Um, but yeah, uh, and then, uh, the writer, S.S. Wilson, he's the one directed the next movie, uh, the, the second one. Okay. Um, so, yeah, they were pushing to not reveal the monsters at all in any promotional stuff, in the poster. And, in fact, there's uh, two scenes early on where you see uh, hints to the monster, like, stalking the um, Finn Carter's character. Uh yep. And they actually included that because the studio asked them to include that because they wanted to market, the studio wanted to market it as a monster film. The writer and director, they wanted to market it as a horror film where you didn't know whether it was a human or a monster until the big reveal. And I'm kind of with you. I wish they kind of, they went that route with it because it would have been more interesting
2: I really enjoy Rondalep X character though. I uh-huh. think her her introduction is hilarious because you know Kevin Bacon's getting a bit uh, worked up in the car on the way, right. over, looking for some massive babe. And then she turns up and they've done the classic thing of making a girl dorky in like mm-hmm. the 80s, which is, you know, put a cap on and some right. some zinc across the forehead. Yeah. And he's just like, he's so distraught. <laughs> and you know, she's obviously a very attractive woman, but because she's got that zinc on her nose, he's just like, nah, life's not worth living
1: anymore. Right. Exactly. And that is such a, <laughs> that's such a weird scene because I'm like, there's nothing, ro- she looks great.
2: <laughs> yeah.
1: She looks great. And
2: she... Her role as well is, is, uh, it's something that Adam and I get all the time. Cause you know, we, uh, we're, we're ecologists, but we study, you know, certain parts of mm-hmm. ecology. And so people will be having a conversation or whatever. And they'll, they'll be talking about, I don't know, how lions hunt something <laughs> that has nothing to do with anything that I study, But people will be like, Hey Sam, help us out here. Uh-huh. Like what happens? And I'm like, how <laughs> would I know? And. She's a geologist, and they're just right. constantly asking her questions about the, the graboids throughout, right. uh, throughout the film. Like, hey, you're a scientist, you know this, right? And she's like, no, what are you asking me for? Right. and I She's have not no no even. Clue.
1: She's a student on top of it, too. Yeah. It's like, oh, I'm just. It's
2: just uh, sh- a. <laughs> She's a geologist out there. Although I, I will say, she does seem to know, you know, know her stuff. If her supervisors have let her take all this really expensive equipment out to the desert by herself, then right, oh, she's got some really trusting supervisors. That would never happen at my faculty. Yeah,
1: yeah. Yeah. Oh man, yeah, I I really like her character, but I like I like that it kind of makes her very relatable when when they're in the store and everybody's like asking her questions. She's like, I don't know. Yeah. It's like I yes. I saw them for the first time the same time you guys did. How am I supposed to know? <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> oh man, so yeah, we can go ahead and hop over to the second movie.
2: Um, yeah. So so you really like this one, and I'm kind of. Uh...
1: I think mine is mostly nostalgia because this was the one that I saw the most when I was younger. Yeah. And I do. I love it. <laughs> I absolutely love the second one. The, for
2: for me, the first one, like, uh, the, the whole isolation that they, mm-hmm. that they, uh, get, get stuck with. It's, it's really, it makes sense. Right. Um, and I feel bad for them because, you know, they've just been cut off. Like, there's nothing they can really do. Right. But in the second one, it's just like, no, this is definitely your fault that you're out here by yourself.
1: Right. Exactly. Like,
2: the Mexican army sends them so many, like, <laughs> just weapons and ammunition to these random, like, freelance Americans. Right. And they don't send any personnel whatsoever. Yeah. Because at the... <clears throat> I mean, and and it also just makes no sense to me because it's a pretty... Simple thing to do: training them to kill the graboids in the second one. I mean, they're just strapping dynamite to a remote control car, right. sending them out. The graboids eat them; they blow up the remote control car. I know that they want the money, mm-hmm. but once once the local oil drillers realize that, they should have just got the army out to take care of them. You know, right. put out, like six teams out there; you'd be done in like two days.
1: Right? Exactly. I mean,
2: I feel bad saying this from a conservationist point of view, because you're wiping out the entire species in one region, but right. <laughs> they are threatening, you know, the local population. So, I mean, and then they get burnt down to do exactly the same thing. So why
1: not just get some
2: locals? I mean,
1: right, exactly. Uh, yeah. I, I think there was in, in, on uh, IMDB, there was a little bit of trivia and it wasn't really trivia trivia because it was, um, because it's more of an opinion thing that somebody shared, but, uh, yeah. So the Graboids were not known until the first movie which actually takes place in 1989 and then in the third movie they become a protected species which is around 2002. So with you, like agreeing with you, there's kind of this like questionable legality of them killing these you know monsters that are kind of a protected species (laughs) Um, but, but I, this is
2: classic like 80s 90s kind of conservation right. style it's just like ah we we don't know anything about biodiversity or also climate change yet if there's you know right. dangerous species on our habitat just kill it
1: right exactly yeah and i have a feeling that you said about the the military and they do mention that the military gave them these guns and everything i have a feeling that the the actual mexican government Didn't know as much about what they were doing as what they were led to believe because Uh, (laughs) I have a feeling and I I don't know if I don't think it's in the movie, but I have a feeling just that you have these lucrative oil fields and these guys are trying to protect that oil field from being shut down because of an endangered species that's now invading it. And yeah. so it's like, let's get the idiot Americans to come down and take care of it. That way even if something does go wrong, we can blame them.
2: <laughs> yeah. So, deniability. We have complete deniability. These Americans just showed up on the base. They were crazy. We didn't know what they were doing.
1: Right. Exactly. They had yeah, a whole bunch okay. of dynamite and they just went out blowing stuff up. So,
2: Yeah, that is I will pay that. That's a really good theory.
1: Yeah, so I think that yeah, that's that's kind of my uh way of rationalizing it in my head um uh, but ultimately i do really like the second one I, and, and and I, mean, I really like the shriekers as as a additional evolution or metamorphosis to the graboids i like the shriekers uh they're really yeah. cool they seem very dangerous um even you know more dangerous than the Graboids, even though they don't really do as much as the Graboids did as far as like uh killing people and eating people.
2: Yeah. And there's no I i find them a little less uh engaging just because there's no like there's no tension with them. Yeah. Like, there's none of that fear of the unknown, like there's just a bunch of these things walking around and are they more dangerous than say a pack of rabid coyotes?
1: oh that's true that's true they 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 yeah i guess they to me i guess because i'm so i this movie came out in the same era as jurassic park so i always associate them kind oh, of yeah. like kind of, they kind of remind me of velociraptors and yeah and I, I i love that but yeah you're right there is there is kind of not that tension that you get from the graboids like we were talking about like you get with jaws where yeah. you don't see the monster, but you know it's there, and you know the yeah. threat that it has. So, uh, uh yeah. So I can see that. I can see that. I just, like I said, I I'm fully able to admit that the reason I love that movie so much is nostalgia. It is. Yeah. It is look, just nostalgia. <laughs> yeah,
2: there are some great lines in there though. Like I really enjoy that uh, the umbrella scene. Oh, yeah. Uh, where he just, he puts up his slightly of uh-huh. with an umbrella and sits there and the other guy gets splattered with all the, uh, the craboid guts and that sort of thing. Yeah. And, uh, the, the wonderful, uh, the bit where the coyote.
1: Oh, uh-huh. yes. The, yeah. <laughs> that is so there's good. There's this
2: fantastic bit where there's this coyote out howling in the, in the distance and, um, Bert says, you know, somebody's going to tell that coyote to shut up. And then two seconds later, it's just a whole,
1: uh-huh.
2: and it is, yeah
1: oh uh, so so many good I, I, and it goes back to what we were saying how it's more of a comedy you know kind of adventure story yeah. than a horror story yeah, yeah. because there's just so many great one-liners i mean when bert shows up back to the base and his truck has been just wrecked by the shriekers and he comes out and he's like i was given i was uh what say? <laughs> saying I, feel
2: I was denied like, critical information. need to know information yeah. exactly
1: exactly and then yeah. he's like i am completely out of ammo it yeah. never happened to me before <laughs> i, just I uh it.
2: i think and one of the big problems for me was this though was that it, it took until like an hour before there was actually a credible threat to them right because when they start off they're just like there there's a bit of that when uh when the graboid gets uh hold of one of the chains that's on their right. vehicle but either side of that, they're just blowing up Graboids for fun. It's just like, hey, how much money are we gonna net here? Right. And then, you know, you finally get to the hour mark with only like I think half an hour or twenty five minutes left. Mm-hmm. And that's finally when there's a new challenge. All of a sudden it's Yeah, yeah there, there's a credible threat there. Yeah. Yeah. And I I'd, I can see that. Yeah, and I'd gotten mixed up too, because I thought that this was the one with the uh with the arse blasters. Oh, uh, no. And I thought, okay, that is that is gonna create tension because all of a sudden as opposed from coming up from the ground, they're coming down from the sky. Right. But that thing of no, they're just walking around in a slightly kind of stumpy, awkward gate. Right. Game. Yeah.
1: Yeah. Yeah, they're and they're just they're, they're Velociraptors is what they're like. Yeah, like yes. like from the from uh Jurassic Park. They're very much like yeah. that. Uh yeah, no, the the ass blasters come in uh in three. In, yeah. In the third movie um yeah. which I do want to cover those movies at some point the rest of them uh, so maybe we'll have you back on to talk about those movies whenever oh, we Oh <laughs> boy. <Yeah. laughs>
2: it's cuz when when we did our uh, our tremors podcast we just focused on the first one because like the the graboid ecology is it's difficult but it's okay but right. then like the reproductive cycle of these things Yes. <laughs> Oh my god. Like and it's hard enough going from the Graboid to the Shriekers. And then the Arse Blasters, like making something like that fly is just Right. Oh <laughs> yeah. I'm it's... I'm happy to come back on, yeah. But yeah. Uh, yeah.
1: Oh man. Have you have you seen the like the, the fifth and sixth one? The Oh
2: I could not get I I watched uh I watched like selected scenes from them. Mm-hmm. But the it really starts to kick into ridiculous when you've got the 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 graboids like breaching through the snow and then diving back in like oh, sharks right. or whales coming yeah. up like,
1: yeah it just, yeah it goes way way left field and. Uh, the the problem I have with the two later films is they went full CGI instead of having the actual yeah. puppets, and I, I that's one of the things I love about these early movies is that they still had the puppets. They did use some CGI in the second one but they use there's
2: the puppet. There's one scene, yeah, yeah. where it's like, it's really kind of jarring. Almost it took me out of it. Not enough, because it's a fairly silly movie anyway. Right, but that, yeah. there's that one scene where they're like stacking on top of each other. Mm-hmm. And, it's re- and I, I was sitting there thinking, I was like, oh, it's excusable, you know, it's the time. And I was like, hang on, this came out two years after Jurassic Park.
1: Right, yeah. Yeah. <laughs> yeah it's, it, when you Having put said it that, it it's a context, much lower like, budget.
2: Like, yeah.
1: It's early 90s CGI. Wait a minute jurassic park was early 90s cgi <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> it's like yeah when you put I wonder context... if jurassic
2: park hadn't come out then and showed people that you can do this whether they just would have stuck with the puppets for that 95 uh, for tremors 2
1: i'm not sure um I it feels like they were going to try some cgi in certain scenes just you know because it was available uh yeah. and so it was a you know like it was a new technology and people were using it i don't think jurassic park Just because Jurassic Park was groundbreaking in the way it used it, I don't think that would have changed anything in the amount of movies that were trying to use this new technology um, to differing degrees of success. Yeah,
2: yeah, for
1: sure. Um, But yeah, so um, I have in one of my notes, uh, which I have it in my dislikes, but I mean, it's not really a dislike or a like. It's so much denim. (laughs)
2: Oh, yeah.
1: So much denim. in this A lot of movie.
2: Canadian tuxedos.
0: Yeah,
1: it is so. It is so 90s because that was the 90s style back then. It was just denim everywhere. <laughs>
0: yeah.
2: Um. Yeah. What and- else have I got? Ah. Uh, oh, sorry. We, did you want to still talk? Oh, about Oh no. Denim yeah, keep going, yeah. Keep going. Yeah. That guy not knowing what scissor paper rock is. Yeah. <laughs> now I. It just. Blew my mind. Like, I, <laughs> we had scissor paper rock in Australia in the mid nineties. Mm-hmm. I assume you had that in America in the mid nineties as well. Yep. Okay, good, good. I'm not going crazy. Cause it just, the joke kept going on as well. Like, it's, right. it, it, that we're going with the rule of threes. It came up a third time and I'm like, ah, this is, that yeah. I mean, look, we're we're talking about a a worm kaiju that burrows through wherever, but that really took me out of the movie in terms of like <laughs> realism.
1: Yeah, and, and the fact that he gets so he tricked so easily later on with yeah. uh, with like, oh no, uh, rock rips through paper, and it's like, wait, no, <laughs> yeah, it's like it took you this long to figure that out.
2: I love the fact he was still thinking about it, like, right. You know, <laughs> Two, three minutes later, he's, like, still puzzling over it, even though Earl's, like, in the shed at that point.
1: Yeah. Yeah. Um, yeah. Uh, the the main... my and, and, you know, I don't have a lot of complaints for these movies. Even the second one. I really don't have a lot of complaints for it. Uh, But my biggest complaint, especially going into the second one, is the the way they abandoned the horror yeah. aspect of it. I wish they did stick with it. Even though I, I enjoy the second one, I enjoy how funny and and just silly it became i kind of wish they stuck more with the horror tone that they had in that first one
2: yeah but yeah, that's it's, it's really there's just no real you you never feel like tension or, or right any sort of credible threat at all
1: yeah and, even and
2: towards it, the end it's just there's like just jokes punctuate punctured throughout the the tense yeah. bits to the point that it's just like, oh, this is, nobody's going to die here. Right. They, they introduced, like, a couple of local uh, Mexican people that they can just, like, kill off real early. But
1: Right, exactly. In yeah. fact, actually, that's uh, a one of the fun facts from IMDb is that no other character dies in this movie except for a Mexican character
2: yeah it's just and it's the ones
1: that die in this movie are mexican characters and i'm like i don't know how i feel about that
2: (laughs) it's the two like most stereotypical names ever i think it's like julio and pedro
1: yeah julio and pedro (laughs) yeah yeah uh, so it's uh, yeah because one of the things that that gets me in the first one is when Um, who's, what's his name? Mr. Chang, I think. Walter Chang, yeah. Yeah, Walter Chang. When he dies, and it's like, then you get that tension of, wow, anyone can die in this movie. There's no one who's safe. Uh, and so that scene alone kind of builds that tension of how dangerous the monsters are, but you don't have that in the second one, like you said. No,
2: not at all, yeah. Such a small cast, too. Like, I think there's Mm -hmm. only, what, six people in the whole thing?
1: Yeah, yeah. Yeah. It was really small. Um I, I, I do like that they, they manage they they manage to make fun, uh entertaining movies on such low budget. Like most of these yeah. movies uh, like the first the first two especially are so low budget. Yeah. Um in fact they didn't have any interior sets outside of the store and uh Bert's basement uh, the trophy. Oh, room. really? That is, if you watch that second or that first movie, that is the only two places in the entire movie that are shot from inside of a building.
2: Well, no, I, I mean it. Yeah, now that you say it, I'm like, yeah, of course. But
1: yeah, the rest of it's we never all outside have picked
2: that at the time. Yeah,
1: <laughs> yeah, and so it's just a fun <coughs> way of kind of how they use their budget. You know, they they didn't have to build these interior scenes. They could just you know focus on the exterior and focus on the special effects. Yeah. Um, the budget for the second one was slashed considerably once uh um kevin bacon and reba mcintyre uh couldn't come back when when they said no they reba
2: reba mcintyre
1: yeah um reba with a b who she's a she's a country music star and she's the one who played bert's wife
2: oh right reba McIntyre. okay heather gummer oh right yes okay i do yeah. recognize her yeah
1: yeah she was on tour because she is uh she's a, a really big name in the country music scene okay. um and uh she was on tour. was she back the then yes yes okay. she was. Right. yeah this was actually her first movie that she had ever done oh right yeah up until the up until this movie she was a singer and not an actress and this was her first uh movie that she actually played in um and so she was on tour so she couldn't come back kevin bacon he has had mixed feelings about these movies and in interviews he's talked about how when he first uh, got the role he was like this is the end of my career i can't believe i'm doing this how stupid is this yeah. and then later on has, has kind of come around to it of like oh you know i i had fun i enjoyed it it's great so yeah, came back to the
2: tv series
1: right yeah and yeah. so it's like I, so he didn't come back and so when when those two big name stars didn't come back for the second one The studio just kind of said, "You know what? Instead of instead of doing a theatrical release, we're just going to do straight to video, and we're going to cut the budget in. I think by like two thirds. Uh, It went down by like two thirds. Yeah,
2: because the first one, I'm I'm looking and I'm surprised that they that they made a uh, a sequel because it says here and um I'm just on Wikipedia, but it says here that the budget for the first one was 11 million and they only made 16 million, which is not like a huge return even for back then, right?
1: Right, yeah, no, it was not a success in theaters. It was a success more in home video, which is why when they went to the sequel, they were like, "Well, let's release it just directly to video because the first one made more money in home video than it did in theaters." Yeah, okay. Um, So, yeah, yeah, it's one of those. It was one of the first movies to really the where the home video market helped it. Uh, more than anything else okay but yeah so but i just i, I do like that their creative use of special effects and everything on such a low budget it, it is such a such a uh, interesting use of the budget that they do have yeah um so yeah so let's let's get into fun facts now usually with the fun facts segment of the podcast i like to bring up fun facts about the history behind the scenes stuff all of that kind of stuff but because you're here and you are our uh ecology and biology expert (laughs) for the podcast uh i want to let you just take over here and share some of your thoughts on these monsters and the biology of the graboids and their metamorphosis
2: awesome okay well look i will start off by saying that uh, a lot of this stuff i'm uh, i'm coming up with now i owe mm-hmm. to uh to dave because like i said adam and i we're mm-hmm. good at talking about why things are where they are why they live there how they might behave that sort of stuff but right. when it comes to the physiology on our podcast that's all dave um so i'll start with some of his stuff that he came up with uh for these things uh, and the first one is uh the graboids have orange blood
1: right mm-hmm now,
2: yeah. orange blood is real hard to come by. Uh, there's only two things that produce, uh, orange blood. Um, bacterial vaginosis okay. is one of them. Uh, and tr- the other, the other one I do not know how to pronounce, uh, trichomoniasis. <laughs> so diseases. Okay. Like these are, right. so these are potentially really unhealthy creatures. Uh, which kind of makes sense because, I mean, These are small populations that we're seeing in the film. Right. You don't see many graboids. Uh, I think there's, there seems to be a lot more in the second one. Uh, and I don't know if that's potentially because it's in a less, like, uh, less heavily populated area. Uh, but if you do have really small populations, uh, with no, like, input or immigrants from other populations, then what you're likely to get is a higher rates of inbreeding. And if you get higher rates of inbreeding, it's like in humans—you get more buildup of diseases, uh, more susceptibility to parasites, uh, that sort of thing. So you do. These graboids are potentially well on their way to extinction already. Oh, okay. Uh, <clears throat> so the the next problem though was why are their populations so low when their habitat, which is just kind of desert. Uh, right. as shown by the first one. And even in the second one, grasslands are apparently fine for them. Mm-hmm. Why is their population so low when there is so much desert and grassland in North America and even down in Mexico and below? Because uh, there's there was plenty of prey out there uh, before, uh, you know, European colonizers came along.
0: Mm-hmm.
2: Uh, they should be thriving. Um, and our theory here was that with industrialization, uh, you all of a sudden had these huge population centers springing up. Uh, in America, you had these enormous train lines that were constructed across the country, producing massive amount of noise, huge amounts of vibrations. Uh, and potentially that kind of fragmented their populations. So uh, you okay. went from having uh, these met- meta populations, the kind of somewhat closed off populations, whereby you have kind of trade in terms of like immigrants and emigrants from other groups coming in. So you maintain high uh, high numbers, but you also maintain really uh, high genetic diversity, which is really important to fend off diseases and that sort of stuff. Right. However, if you put uh, massive uh, borders between populations that they won't cross, like a train line, for instance, mm-hmm. uh, potentially that's uh, causing vibrations which are really harmful to the graboids, which keeps them apart from each other. Then potentially uh, you cut these populations into smaller and smaller groups uh, mm. that are unable to persist on their own. Now, of course, uh, this was the reason we focused just on Tremors 1 in the, our first podcast. This all goes out the window. Right, if you exactly. bring like a flying graboid, uh, so right. the Arse blasters or the, the shriekers. Right. Um, and that, that's one, one of the other things, like for a species that size, um, that has like kind of limited intelligence, the, the shrieker now. You don't see too many species like that in the world that will actively hunt humans like wolves uh, in Scandinavia, where I live at the moment, they stay the hell away from humans. Uh, bears as well. And they're, I mean, they're a credible threat to us. They will stay right away. Uh, no jaguars in Costa Rica. I'm assuming lions and that sort of thing. If they see humans, they will, uh, they will go in the other direction most of the time, like- unless they're really desperate. Uh, but these shriekers, they're just going for humans straight away. Right. Um, so Dave came up with, uh, some kind of solutions for this in that, uh, potentially they've been, uh, their prey is being wiped out recently. Uh, because I mean, you would think that something like this, uh, would be able to take down large mammals, uh, and those mammal populations may have been decreased already by humans, uh, you know, uh, ruining biodiversity as we've done Kind of all over the world right Uh, and they they may have gone dormant Uh, so you Mm. might have had uh, the Arse blasters laying eggs uh, which then went dormant for a large amount of time until I don't know perhaps some local disturbance or just an increase in moisture in the atmosphere woke them up again and so they've now come out and they're just looking for food everywhere and they're completely naive to humans and so they're just going after them Uh, right which, as you know, as this movie shows, does not work out particularly well for them. Um, yeah, and
1: that was actually a question that I had about them because um, I know I- I'm not—I haven't studied biology or anything outside of just my high school level—but <clears throat> it always seems like in the animal kingdom, animals develop specialized techniques on how to hunt specific prey. Yeah, you, know, you have specific animal, you know. They're, they're very specialized, whereas Graboids and the Shriekers and all of them, they seem to just eat anything. Uh, yeah. Is that something that you would see in kind of the animal kingdom for an animal that's food source maybe is limited?
2: So we talked about this uh, outside of the podcast, actually. This came, this came up a while later. And I don't think that the uh, the Graboids, if they were to exist, would hunt the way we see them hunting uh, in the, the first movie the coordinated mm-hmm. attacks are really interesting and i can kind of uh talk a bit on that later of where we think these things evolved from uh mm-hmm. but the the graboids themselves like they they would be much better suited i feel to like ambush attacks right um so you see you know you've seen that classic sort of uh videos of uh crocodiles going after wildebeest right at the edge mm-hmm. of uh and just like popping out grabbing a wildebeest dragging it back so i think it'd be more that sort of thing that they do uh, cause the first thing is that, and it's, I always try to stay away from this because it's a little boring when we look at, uh, kaiju because the first problem is always that they're always too big.
1: Right. Yeah. Uh, <laughs>
2: and you, know, you, you don't want to focus on that when you look at kaiju because the point of them is that they're supposed to be big. So. Right. Yeah. Yeah. And when, when we looked at King Kong and when we looked at Godzilla, we kind of had to talk about it, but these guys would have to be a little smaller as well, but more to the point, they just traveling through soil like that. They would not be able to be that fast. Right. So what they could instead do is potentially, like, destabilize soil in an area and Mm -hmm. then use that destabilized soil uh, to, you know, kind of spring up, grab something, drag it under until it kind of, you know, it's uh, dead and then they can just uh, feast on it. I think that would be a lot easier than, you know, the active hunting, like kind of chasing after something that we see them doing in the first film. Right. Uh, yeah,
1: they kind of behave a lot like sharks almost in the yes. way that they hunt uh in in the in the first movie. So uh yeah. yeah, I can see that. I can see them being more ambush predators and that save up their energy for that one big strike and then that's it. And the rest of the time they're just kind of dormant in the sand or in the dirt.
2: Yeah, and it could even be that they like create patches of quicksand that they go like they're setting traps and going from mm-hmm. place to place. Like, uh, if you've seen the, the latest Star Wars movie, there's that kind of bit where Ray and Finn and all that, they sink through oh, to the yeah. bottom and there's uh-huh. that huge snake waiting for them. Uh huh. Yeah. Maybe that sort of scenario where, you know, you get like a, a bison or a buffalo, uh, trapped in that sort of quicksand environment and then, you know, the graboid comes by to check if its traps got anything, is it? And, you know, there, there's his lunch. Uh, okay. So, and I think that could potentially be one of the reasons why their populations went down. Like, If they're going after those big animals that are likely to get stuck in that sort of thing, they got Mm -hmm. hunted, uh, to, well, not to extinction, but they, populations of uh, things like bisons were hugely reduced when Europeans came along, uh, to, right, exactly. So that could be one of the reasons why they're, uh, they're so rarely sighted these days. Well, (laughs) these days, uh, back in the early nineties. Yeah.
1: Yeah. Yeah. That makes sense. Um, now as far as their life cycle, I mean, we didn't we didn't get into the third and fourth and, and all those movies, but just from the two movies that we have here of going from the graboid to the shriekers, how yeah. how realistic is this? Because to me, as as a, somebody who's not into biology and yeah. is just looking at it as a fun monster movie, it is the most creative life cycle in a monster movie since Aliens. Yeah, since it is. the xenomorphs.
2: And the xenomorphs are really cool because that is like a really classic kind of parasite, uh, life stage, you, uh-huh. uh, parasitic life history. You've got one stage where it looks a little different and it latches onto a certain host. And then, uh, uh the xenomorph is kind of gets unrealistic because it changes from a parasitoid to a, just a full on predator. Right. Um, but it is the, the graboid life cycle is still really creative. Having said that, uh, <laughs> They kind of, so there, there was a faux, uh, sci-fi documentary that was on the sci-fi channel. I think back in the nineties or the early two thousands, it probably coincided with one of the movies coming out
1: uh-huh.
2: and it said that what happens is like, uh, the graboids kind of, uh, the graboid is one of like three species, uh, three, mm-hmm. uh, eggs uh-huh. or specimens that are within one egg. Uh-huh. And then the graboid is just the one that gestates into essentially what's a host body for the other two, which tear out of it and become shriekers. Right. It's really weird and hard to follow. Uh I didn't, I didn't manage to find much sense. And then I think the shriekers, but this is the thing, the graboids give birth to the shriekers, but then the shriekers can give birth to more shriekers.
1: Right. Exactly. So you have
2: different modes of reproduction within one species. And I mean, they're... There are species like that out there, mainly plants, that will turn to, like, cloning if there's not mm-hmm. enough, like, other mates in the area.
0: Mm-hmm. But
2: for a species like this, it just, it doesn't really make any sense. Uh, and then uh, the, the Arse Blasters, they lay eggs, I think. Right. And they turn yeah. into the Graboids slash Shriekers, which it's... Oh.
1: Yeah, yeah, Look, it's, it, it's really crazy
2: (laughs) yeah it's really weird um and it again it kind of just it's it just falls apart as soon as you introduce the shriekers like the graboids um because we think they're they're really closely related to camelfish
0: uh uh, just because
2: of a lot of what they uh a lot of what they do their behavior um that beak that they've got Mm
0: -hmm.
2: uh could easily just be kind of a cephalopod uh a cephalopod beak that's been highly specialized So cephalopods are squids, octopuses, cuttlefish, that sort of thing. Yeah. Um, Cuttlefish are really intelligent. They're capable of trapping and luring their prey and all that sort of thing. Uh, So we figured that what probably happened was that uh, like 150, 140 million years ago, um, there was just some cuttlefish species that were like uh, hanging out near mud banks, which is already weird enough because in mangroves or something like that. Mm-hmm. Uh and they were they took to burrowing into uh burrowing into the mud banks to either come out and ambush things or to find things within the mud banks themselves. And that just, you know, one thing led to another and they evolved into yeah. this land yeah. uh well, you know land based uh land based animal. Uh mm. and so if they follow just like a cuttlefish reproductive cycle, that'd be okay. And maybe the cuttlefish babies could even well, the the babies could even burst their way out of the uh, the adult like that. So, you know, the adult just dies and the babies kind of tunnel their way out. But right. for right. them to give weird kind of birth to this different yeah. organism that looks completely different, acts completely differently, apparently goes from having really sensitive hearing and vibrational sensing capacities mm. to nothing whatsoever and just seeing in infrared right and also like uh, the' a they're really smart in the first film
1: mm-hmm yeah
2: and then there's a big point made of how stupid the shriekers are
1: right exactly
2: and it's just ah uh, that that's that's the main thing like they're both really interesting creatures by themselves but if you try to mm-hmm. make them part of the same life cycle it kind of falls apart but yeah it's still really fun to watch in the cinema like that not in the cinema yeah, there, there was a yeah, local theatrical well, release of our uh, trimmers. Yeah. Yeah. No, yeah, but I see what you're saying it, like, though. Regurgitates a smaller version of itself. Oh, uh. nasty! <laughs>
1: yeah. Now, um, I uh, I thought of something I was going to ask you, and I've, yeah. uh, now I've, I've lost it. Um, I can't think of it. Oh, in the film, they mention uh, how well uh, Earl mentions how the they are changing kind of the way uh, a caterpillar changes into a butterfly but ah, yes. that seems kind of completely different than what is happening here yeah because with a just from my like high school level biology, when a caterpillar turns into a butterfly, it completely dissolves itself yeah. and reconstitutes itself. This is not happening with the graboids. They're actually bursting out or the, the shriekers are bursting out of that. So is there yeah. any, is there any kind of like science to that <laughs> kind of notion of metamorphosis?
2: And the science behind like uh, the caterpillar butterfly thing is, it's just insane because like you said, they just dissolve into goo and they right. somehow know how to, like Mm. reform themselves. It's not something I've studied before, but I have spoken to a couple of people about this recently. And it's just, it's so misunderstood at this point. We don't, we still don't know what's going on. What we do know though, is that if you expose a caterpillar to certain stimuli, uh, Mm. and then it goes, dissolves into goo and, you know, turns into a butterfly, that butterfly will respond to the same stimuli as a butterfly. So they are carrying over memory and function and all that sort of stuff. Uh, but with the, with the, uh, the way that the shriekers are bursting out of the graboid, no. There's. Right. But that's fine because Earl's not a, not a biologist. He's. Right. Not yeah. a particularly smart man by, by any means. But, so, you know, we, we can't really blame him for, uh, for any of this sort of stuff. Who we can blame though is, um, What's the the token female's name in the second film? Because she really is like um, she's a big Kate? step down from uh, from Ronda Lubeck. Yeah.
1: Yeah. Kate.
2: Kate claims that the graboid spike is pre-Cambrian.
0: Mm-hmm.
1: Now,
2: uh, you've you probably did you cover high, um, the Cambrian explosion high high school biology in America?
1: Yeah, it's it's been a while though. <laughs> yeah.
2: Well, look, the Cambrian explosion was about five hundred and forty million years ago. Before that, there were no, like, land-based theropods, uh, right. and life in the sea was pretty basic. After that, uh, there's a couple of... Last time I studied this, or okay, came even close to it, there were a couple of theories. One was that it was potentially, like, a supervolcano that exploded and injected a bunch of more minerals uh, into the mm-hmm. oceans, giving species more stuff to work with to build different structures. But if they were pre-Cambrian, as uh, she suggests in the second movie... That, that would make them like 600 million years old they would have nothing to feed on cuttlefish didn't evolve until like I think 180 million years ago so okay. she is way off and that is the most ridiculous assumption I've heard in the movie since I think troll hunter
1: yeah see that's that's what I was thinking of when when I uh, was thinking of Cambrian and pre-cambrian the Cambrian explosion yeah that uh, a lot of that was sea life uh, yeah because there just wasn't a lot of land available or a lot of life on the land yeah there was, that was that was available yeah. and so to hear about these worm these terrestrial worm creatures that you know live in the dirt <laughs> living in a pre-cambrian era it's like okay even my high school level biology mind is like uh that seems that seems wrong seems a
2: bit <laughs> weird yeah there was yeah. actually uh in that that documentary i i think i I was talking about they redated them to be about four hundred million years old. So oh, theoretically, okay. there's life on land that they can that they can probably feed on at that point. But it still mm-hmm. is just, I mean, nothing this complex. Yeah. Uh, and like I said, we, we're pretty sure that they're very closely related to cuttlefish, and cuttlefish have only been around for I think just under two hundred million years. So
1: oh, okay, look
2: theoretically they. Uh, a creature like this could have been around for a while, uh, but if it mm-hmm. if it has, then it's something like you know crocodiles or sharks, where their body plan has not changed significantly over, over a really long period of time, which right. I don't think is going to be the case because I think their prey animals are going to have changed so much. I, I think these are, like mm-hmm. I said, not going to be particularly good generalists. They're just going to be going after large, uh, large animals.
1: Yeah. yeah. Okay. Now, as far as the One of the most striking features about the graboids is the tongue serpents that come out. Now, is that something that could, I know, I know you have things like the goblin shark, or I think there's even, uh, the uh, moray, one of the moray eels has like an inner jaw. So is there some kind of like scientific thing of these? They almost act independently from the bigger creature yeah uh, so
2: i think they're just highly specialized tentacles so again this is okay. why i really like the cuttlefish as their as their cousin because uh-huh. cuttlefish and octopus have these tentacles around their mouth that they use as feeders uh in the graboids mm-hmm. i think they've gravitated to inside of the mouth uh right. and they're just sending them out to uh yeah to to get themselves well food or something like that i uh i know that uh, certain species of octopus uh-huh. Because their intelligence isn't, like, uh, located uh, specifically within their head, it's kind of distributed through their body. If you cut off uh-huh. an octopus's arm, it will continue uh-huh. for a short while to try and bring food back to a non-existent head.
1: Oh, okay. And we
2: kind of see, I think in uh, the one when they're in South Africa, our Tremors 5, that actually happens. Like, the things can actually detach themselves from the the mm-hmm. Graboid's body and then bring food back, right?
1: Yeah, yeah. Yes. Yeah, they did show that in the in the uh, sixth one.
2: So I think they're just highly specialized tentacles. They look okay. really flimsy, though. Like, I know they're, like, pulling trucks underground and all that sort of stuff, but right. I do not think they, they would have the strength to pull trucks at all in this sort of thing. I think that they would get yanked off immediately as soon as the truck started, uh, started moving away with one of them attached.
1: Right. Yeah. And that's where movie magic comes in. Yeah. Absolutely. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Okay, well all of that I mean I am fascinated by living things, animals, biology, all of that stuff. So I, this has been hugely fascinating to me. Um I hope it's been fascinating to the listeners as well. Um but we uh we're going to have to move on yeah. as much yeah. as I loved hearing it. I loved hearing it. I'm glad that you're here and that you you brought this uh this uh, expertise to it. No
2: worries. Um, I love doing this stuff as well. So yeah, and I think I'm pretty much finished with everything I had to say anyway. So yeah, good time. Okay.
1: Yeah. (laughs) Well, let's um let's quickly give our Godzuki scores, and then we can move on to um the last segment of the podcast. So uh, I'm not sure if you've listened to enough episodes to know, but uh, and for any listeners who are new. We like to score our movies out of five Godzukis because Godzuki was Godzilla's bumbling, kind of goofy, uh, animated nephew in the seventies TV show. And we like to pay homage to the great Godzuki by using him as our measuring stick for how we rate these movies. So I'm going to ask you, Sam, out of five Godzukis, what would you give Trimmers One and Two? You can you can rate them separately or you can rate them together. Either way.
2: If I have to write, uh, if I have to write them, se- if I'd rate them separately, I'd probably give four for the first one and maybe two for the second, two and a half if I'm being real generous. Oh, Okay. Yeah. So I I'd come to probably probably average maybe three. Let's let's just say three for both.
1: okay yeah Yeah, i'm i mean as much as i love these films i am fully aware that the majority of why i love them is nostalgia and i recognize all the flaws and all the problems especially with the second one so for me i i'm giving it three and a half godzuki's out of five for both of them yeah uh just because that uh i think that there is something about these films that just I mean, they're they're still making movies. They are still making the movies. So there is something to be said about the longevity of this series that you can't deny that it it strikes a chord with certain people.
2: And I think I enjoyed the first one. Maybe I enjoyed the first one so much just because I was so pleasantly surprised by a film that, you know, I thought would be so Mm -hmm. dated and so hokey just being so engaging and kind of tense as well.
1: Yeah. Yeah. I think the first one really stands out as a stellar example of what American monster films can be. You know, people always talk about how the East, uh, the Eastern countries like China and Japan and Korea tend to do better monster movies than the Western countries. But America has some good giant monster movies out there. And this is one of the examples of it. Um, all right. So we can jump into now our listener questions, uh, or what I like to call the mailbag segment. Um, so listeners, if you want to send us an email or a message, you can do that. kaijuweekly at gmail.com or you can, uh, send us a tweet on Twitter, uh, at kaijuweekly and on Instagram, kaijuweeklypod. So that's the ways to reach out to us if you want to reach out to us. Now, I had a longer message um, uh, here uh, for if time was running a little short, we would be able to go into it. But since we actually had a really nice long conversation, I'm going to go ahead and go with the shorter of the uh, questions that somebody sent in. This is from DrawingZilla. Uh, this was on Instagram. Uh, he asked, or he or she, I don't really know their gender. So um, they asked, uh, hey, I was just wondering if you would consider doing an episode about people's original kaiju like mine on my Instagram account. Now, I did send a message to Drawingzilla to, and told him that I would have to, or them, that I would have to discuss that with my regular co-hosts. But I think... For this podcast, because it is an audio podcast, discussing original Kaiju designs might be a little difficult. Yeah. um that's more of like <clears throat> if we ever did a video uh, podcast or a video series, we might be able to handle that because uh I think it would be just kind of hard to discuss a, you know a, a Kaiju that people are not familiar with or one that they can't google easily. Uh, on audio form so that's that's my answer to that question but um
2: but i tell you what look we we've done uh, one of these episodes before and we're looking to do more of them in the future whereby we have a making a monster episode where we've had mm -hmm. a friend who knows a bit about biology come in and like you know create their own monster and we'll kind of pick it apart that sort of thing i'm looking at our drawings of the stuff on instagram now if they want to you know if somebody wants to Write up a page for us on what their kaiju can do and all that sort of stuff. We're more than happy to talk about it for a bit on Cinematic Animalia.
1: Yeah, yeah, yeah. that would be a lot of fun. So so uh, that's always an option, Drawingzilla. If you're listening, uh, you can reach out to Sam at Cinematic Animalia, and they can discuss it. Uh, and and like I said, I don't mind discussing yeah. kaiju um, on here, but it would it would not. We couldn't go into a lot of detail on this podcast because. We like to make make it approachable to people who are new to kaiju, but also long-term fans. Yep. And discussing on an audio format a kaiju that people are not familiar with, like no one, just absolutely no one is familiar because this is a completely original yep. idea, is kind of difficult. Um, yeah, for sure. But I'm not against it, but we'd have to come up with a, an interesting way of doing it on here um but yeah that's that's it for the uh listener questions and the mailbag i like i said i have a longer one i'm going to save that for a future episode it's from brian stafford he sends us a lot of great questions and comments so i'm going to save that one for a future uh episode but uh we want to say thank you so much sam for coming on this podcast we really appreciate having you on here it was a lot of fun hearing you tell us and educate us on the biology and stuff of these tremors what is and isn't possible
2: (laughs) yeah no problem i had an absolute blast so thank you very much for having me on
1: yeah no problem you are welcome anytime we gotta we gotta get into the the next sequels to tremors and and have you on (laughs) yeah Yeah. Uh, but uh the final thing that i like to do uh i mentioned it earlier is i like to ask a trivia question that hints to the subject for next week's episode so the trivia question for next week is what giant ape sequel debuted just eight months after the original
2: I know I know this one actually even before you oh. put the giant ape thing in there I knew this one yeah
1: oh yeah I <coughs> yeah, I thought it was a little I was like man maybe I need to like narrow it down some so I put I added the giant ape part yeah, to yeah, it yeah. but yeah. yeah yeah it's uh that's going to be an interesting one I've never actually watched this film so uh, I
2: oh, yeah it's um <laughs> look talk talk about <laughs> step downs and yeah
1: Oh yeah, I've heard, I've heard, but uh, yeah, <laughs> so that's going to be interesting. Yep. So if you guys listeners, if you think you know the answer, or even if you want to give us an answer that's funny and you know, you don't have to be correct, uh, you can check out the Kaiju Groupie Facebook group. It's kind of the official, unofficial Facebook group of the podcast, um, just because Michael has now become a major part and he's the moderator uh, for that uh, Facebook group, and he's a major part of this podcast now. Uh, I usually post the question in there. You can check that out uh, and comment with your answers. You can also email us kaijuweekly at gmail dot com. You can tweet us at kaiju weekly, or you can send us a message on Instagram. Uh, I usually share the trivia question on all the social media, so uh, keep an eye out for it there if you want to send in an answer. And I think that's going to do it for this week's episode. So again, thank you so much for joining us. We really had it. And listeners, please go check out Cinematica Animalia. I always feel like I'm mispronouncing it. No.
2: <laughs> Spot on, first time. Yeah. I also I uh, also run a website which is uh, more like a hardcore ecology base, less to do with uh, less to do mm-hmm. with movies and that sort of stuff. Uh, it's called Ecology for the Masses, where we just break down uh, you know ecological news into a format that anybody can understand.
1: Okay. Yeah 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 that's definitely something i'll check out because i'm really fascinated by this stuff so that's good so definitely listeners check that out and so to close out this episode i'm going to say help control the giant worm population even though the population seems really small but have your giant graboids spayed or neutered yeah
2: catch and release (laughs) catch and release is the more humane option yeah
1: (laughs) exactly (laughs) bye guys